Hi, welcome to the Revenue Lounge podcast. I'm your host Abhijit Vijayvargiya, and I'm excited to take you on a journey where we unpack stories of the RevOps warriors around us and celebrate the various facets of this important go-to-market function we call revenue operations. Let's hear it from these revenue rock stars on how they are reimagining RevOps in creative and disruptive ways. Are you ready? Let's go. Buyer contact data continues to be one of the most complex challenges for revenue operations teams to solve. According to Gartner, an average of 7 people are involved in most of the buying committee decisions in a typical sales cycle. And quite a few of these stakeholders might be outside the department your sales reps are targeting. Go-to-market teams lose out on several opportunities in the absence of accurate data about these buying committee, which in turn also creates a lot of gaps, especially around visibility with respect to relationship with the buying committee, engagement with them, and so on and so forth. So let's try and understand how revenue leaders can deal with this challenge. Our guest today is Shantanu Shekhar, the senior director, sales strategy and operations at Gong. Shantanu has scaled op- and optimized businesses across several geographies, including Europe, the Middle East. Africa and Asia Pacific. He is currently driving sales operations and go-to-market strategy for Gong in EMEA. Hi Shantanu, welcome to the Revenue Lounge podcast and thanks so much for spending time with us. Hi Abhijit, my pleasure. Great to be associated with anything that's advancing the cause of RevOps and you guys are doing a great job of it, so thank you for having me. Thank you, we are just doing our bit and they are getting inspired by folks like you. So let's get started, uh, let's dive uh, straight into uh, action here. It would be great to get, get a quick background about yourself, your role and, and your background, what you've been doing. Absolutely, so I've now been in the revenue operations world for over a decade. In fact, I would say even before I took a official revenue operations role, I used to be a management consultant at Bain & Company where essentially most of the projects I was working on were growth strategies, full potential strategies, more focused on revenue. I was lucky that I got a chance to work on a few B2B sales projects there and I realized there was a lot of opportunity for optimization and growth within the B2B tech world. And that's what got me into into tech. Funny story, I'm, I'm based in Ireland as you probably have seen, but I, I had thought of moving to the US in the Bay Area where I'd spent about six months as a consultant, loved the world there. This is back when Uber was a startup and I'd worked with a few private equity companies who were investing in these smaller companies. Long story short, Europe seemed to be an easier landing spot and that's what got me to LinkedIn, one of the biggest SaaS companies at that point as well, but still relatively startup-like and I got a chance to work on sales strategy and operations, which was relatively the word or the role that RevOps was split into back then, right? We had pretty much sales ops in its own world, customer success ops didn't really exist. Marketing operations are separate teams. Still there are things which are obviously merging them together and things which are different. And systems was almost a different world, quite often not part of the same world as well. So very interesting uh, experience there. Spent about five years learning the ropes there, as you mentioned, focusing on Europe, Middle East, Africa. After that, I spent about a year in a smaller company called Nitro. Uh, which is also a SaaS player, a direct competitor to Adobe and DocuSign. And they had the opportunity to work a little bit broader in the revenue operations world outside of sales ops. And it was a great experience to just understand how to think about all these different pieces coming together. And long story short, there I was a customer of Gong. And I don't think I would have left in a year, but I, I realized that Gong was one of those companies where really the mission of the company has been to help both companies and people reach their full potential. And a lot of that is driving the revenue intelligence and revenue operations category itself. So that was what got me interested. 
I've now been at Gong for about 10 months and really loving the experience. Wonderful. So tell, tell us a little bit about your role here, what your day-to-day looks like, what you've been doing here for the last 10 months. Perfect. And and the way I might uh, do that, I might think about how I define RevOps as well and club that into this, Abhijit, if you're comfortable with that. So the reason for that is a lot of different companies define revenue operations differently. And what we do, as you as you mentioned in the beginning, I... I manage more of the Europe, Middle East, Africa, which is our only international office outside the US at the moment. And the way I think about revenue operations, there are really three core pillars and a base and a plinth, if you will. So for me, the three core pillars are more to do with go-to-market strategy, the actual core operations, both across process and systems, and the third being data insights, actionable insights, which you can use for making decisions. And then the base and the plinth for me is more to do with people, the foundation of everything that we do is the people and the team that we work with, especially within the revenue operations world. We talked about different operations teams. How do you combine all of that and get the most of it and, and ensure that you're driving value for the teams and people who are working in RevOps? But then at the plinth for me is also just working with all the stakeholders because whatever problem you're solving, whatever challenges you're working on, finding the answers may be 20% of the job. 80% of it is actually working with all the stakeholders and getting them to move and driving change. So that to me is the piece. So in that world, the way I, I work and and it's probably different to say what is different from day one to day two, because quite often there are things which are same and things which are different. But I would say try to flip between these five pieces for Gong in the Europe, Middle East, Africa business, given we are still a relatively newer organization internationally outside the U.S., there's a lot more interesting pieces on the first pillar, which I've, which is more on go-to-market strategy, figuring out what you want to do five years from now. But then there's also, there could be a day where I'm trying to figure out what to do for the new AE who's joining tomorrow. How many accounts should they have and which markets should they be looking at and which segment they should be in and making sure that we have actually the right account data as well as the contact data to help them succeed. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting. And a very strategic role as well, right? I mean, because you're running a market which is first outside the core market, which is the US, right? So there's a lot of interesting stuff to be done, a lot of experimentation. So seems more like you're running a startup within a startup of your own. That's so fair. That's so fair. And, and the challenge, of course, and the beauty is a lot of us who've probably worked in different companies, we bring our own learnings. How do you ensure that you're you're taking the right learnings and benchmarks, but also thinking about what's unique in each company? So a lot of great learnings. I'm sure you're going through the same journey right now as well. We are, indeed we are. So let's move on to our next question. So I've noticed that you've been in the RevOps space for quite some time and as you also shared your story and you would have definitely witnessed the shift that we are seeing in selling world, especially what happened in the last two and a half years. We've constantly read reports about buyers being more reluctant to speak to sellers by doing their own independent research even before coming on to the first call with the salesperson and that window of opportunity to contact buyers or get their attention is, is shrinking increasingly. So what's your take on this transformation that we're seeing in B2B sales and how do you think it has changed or becoming more challenging to sell compared to the last five years? By the way, very good point, Abhijit, because I would say the change that we've seen in the last, I would even say the last two, three years has been massive, right? And it's just, there was a change obviously in the last decade of my own, and I've, I've seen that in the last two, 10 years, I've been in this world more or less, but it's really accelerated in the last three years with COVID and then now even more so with the unpredictable economy that we're in so the way i think about this is maybe if i think about three core pieces which is who we sell to how we sell to them and eventually how do they make a decision those are three things which i've seen a lot of shifts and changes and if i start on the first one who we sell to 
there was this very interesting article from Forrester, which talked about now we don't really sell to a decision maker, but we sell to a buyer's group. And they had a couple of very interesting stats about how the number of interactions which buyers do today before making a decision to buy. And I'm talking about interactions both with different vendors, looking at a few other things, has gone up from an average of 17 in the B2B space to about 27. And that's about a 58% increase from 2019 to 2021 in two years. And that's like changed a lot of how we think about multi-threading at a customer and how do you ensure that you're talking to the right number of contacts. Again, we've probably seen a lot of stats coming in, including from my own company around how many customers, how many contacts you have at a customer to succeed and how that affects your win rate. So that's been a big shift to me. And especially within that, it's not just the decision makers, it's influencers. You have to think about who's your champion at the customer. It literally becomes a project and you're managing that entire process. So that's a big shift. Second, how we sell to them, I think, I would think of it in two parts as well within that, which is the omni-channel piece, which became massive in the B2C world, is has now translated to B2B. So there's so many more buyers who are just comfortable with what you might call self-checkout or self-serve. And a lot of people look for that even for big transactions. I remember doing some work on this in a previous company where we were thinking about self-checkout and how do you think about credit card versus the standard order form process and changes there and how it affects your bad debt and so on. So all of that has shifted where people are more comfortable just maybe talking to a salesperson, but then buying on the website, right? They they prefer doing that. And even right now we have that, especially for existing customers, if they want to just add a couple of seats, most SaaS, of course, is based on subscriptions per seat. They just go in and do it online. They don't even talk to a salesperson. So that happens quite a lot. And that shift has been interesting. The second piece on that, how we sell, I would say is more about And this is very, very, I'm sure, driven by COVID more than anything else in remote work. Just the number of face-to-face interactions versus remote interactions now to sell. There was a McKinsey study, I think, which talked about less than a third of all B2B sales, including enterprise, including SMB, mid-market is now face-to-face. Less than a third and probably declining even more. So that's been a big change. And I know a lot of companies used to think about inside sales being in the small to medium businesses and enterprise sales literally being a high-touch process, it still is a high touch in terms of interactions, going back to the first point, but it's now more shifted to high touch over VCs, emails, calls, and so on. So that's been an interesting shift. The third thing I would say has changed is literally how a customer decides to purchase a solution versus not, because and I think you mentioned Abhijit Abhijit in the beginning, there's so much access to information. You can look at portals or platforms like G2C, what vendor A is doing versus vendor B, what are some of the biggest challenges? There's so much information. It's a lot less solution selling in the traditional way when a salesperson talks to a customer. It's because the customer already has a very informed view before they even talk to a seller. So that's been three big changes. And I think the challenge from a, from a B2B sales team's perspective is making sure that really how to think about discovery, how to think about the entire sales process has become very, very crucial to adapt to this. Yeah, yeah. No, super relevant points. I think I agree with all of them and been experiencing it as a seller myself and know a lot of founders and other VP of sales and A's who share the same perspective, especially when I was at Dreamforce. I think that this was like number one topic that was getting discussed. So just a side question there with respect to what revenue operations teams can do to support through this transformation, right? I mean, we are going through these massive changes, right? So how does RevOps play a role in this 
modern B2B digital selling that we are seeing. So I think the way I would think about it, Abhijit, is, and and this is in a way at the core of what we do as well in that second bucket of the operations pillar that I mentioned, is a lot of companies often run the risk of thinking very internally focused versus externally focused. And the way to solve for this, literally think about the customer life cycle, right? If you literally think about the customer life cycle from the beginning to end, and if you're a revenue operations professional, your ideal understanding right from before anyone from your company has a touch point with the customer to the end point, ideally when the customer is not not churning, but expanding and, and, and getting really high value from you. If you think about the entire value chain, and they're obviously literally mapping out what are the different touch points, what is the process, and what are the systems that we're using across this? A very hot buzzword right now is tech stack consolidation. How do you do that? Literally building and mapping that out across the buyer journey, across the entire customer life cycle. What's changing? What's not? Where do we need visibility? Where do we not? What is a must have versus good to have? Literally mapping all of that out and then being able to, having built the process, the system, identify the systems, and then being able to measure that with very clear KPIs. I mentioned the third pillar for me is insights. Quite often we think about high stacks of data or literally an overload and overburden of information being insights. That's just pure data. How do you think about the signals and the messages which drive action? And again, across the buyer's journey, what are the three things that you care about? So I think if a, a RevOps professional is able to map that out for, and, and this it's a tough process, it's not easy to do that. It's different for each company, for each even segment, to be fair. And having that mapped out very cleanly in the new world that we just talked about, I think this is crucial. Yeah, yeah. Now that's very actionable advice, Shantanu. Thanks for sharing that. So I, I wanted to move back to the point around data that we were discussing earlier, especially clean and complete contact data. It's a big nightmare for a lot of RevOps teams to get this contact data going because there's so much of dynamism there. I mean, a typical person lasts in a job for like 18 to 24 months and that's like a, a pretty short time. So data decays, a lot of changes continue to happen. So how do Rev, RevOps team stay up to date there with respect to handling this clean and complete data use case? Spot on. And by the way, this is probably the holy grail of of RevOps, which is, uh, I remember someone had once told me that there's only bad data or possible data. There's no such thing as good data. So that's like so such a challenge from a, a revenue operations perspective. So I think the the two things I think which I've seen, which have been handy on this is, as you're thinking about your account data and the gaps that you have, literally think about number one, what are the entry points, right? What are some of the things that you are adding in, removing? How do you how do you think about almost your data? hygiene and from a contact data perspective what are the different sources that you're bringing in because again a lot of companies including ones that have been forced to look at five different sources of contact information 10 different sources of company information which you then add in as you think about different markets it becomes even more complex so how do you literally build that process and i don't want to use the word gatekeeper but where are those real criteria on adding an account data or contact data what is the minimum threshold that it must meet to be added in but of course you will have multiple sources coming in because there's no single source of truth which is the most accurate so trying to figure that out and then again i'll go back to the same life cycle piece trying to think about what is the process you're using what are the systems you're using to try and build that in a clean clean and accurate manner yeah yeah and what about the invisible hand and let me elaborate on that point, right? There is an ever-expanding buying committee that we are seeing. I think in Gong Labs has published some of the reports around 
multi-threading and buying committee and buying groups compared to like an individual buyer. So there are at least like five to ten people involved. And a lot of these contacts are not in CRM. Some of them are like invisible contacts. Seller is not even aware and these invisible contacts are calling shots in the background. So one is seller doesn't have visibility into them and second is seller might be engaging with them but the management or RevOps teams don't have visibility into them, right? So what's your advice on getting a grip on this buying committee? Uh, how, how, how do uh, teams ca- keep these things tight? Absolutely, Abhijit. I think the, the best answer here, I think, is, is a magic one. But if, in the absence of that, I would say this is where the importance of the discovery process, and I know we talk about this, most sales methodologies and everything that we set up really pander to this, but the discovery process is so important. Being able to help in the initial conversations, everyone from whether, and, and depending on the company, if you have an SDR or a sales development team, which reaches out first to an account executive in the first conversation, making sure that you're able to really discover and understand the buying process as much as you can in the initial piece at a customer is really crucial to get it right. And second, again, like I said, the magic one for me is getting, whether it's trying to get your CRM as close to possible data, if you might. So at least you have a full view of who are the contacts and then you try and map that to based on your product who you think the influencers should be and could be and literally starting with that mindset so it's mapping and trying to have as much in in the background ready before you go in and have the discovery process yeah yeah and i think automation has a big role to play as well here because there's so much of data workload that exists across the buying cycle and the sales process we can't continue to rely upon like a human intervention whether it's the revops team or it's the users here of the crm I think uh, a lot of automation is possible now that was not possible like a few years back. Uh, so it's, it's it's probably a topic for uh, another day, but yeah, uh, very passionate about how uh, automation can help uh, RevOps teams here. Absolutely. I think big, but yeah, big, big fan. I think again, automation, if I take a two second thing, I think completely agree with you because if I think about everything from making sure you're keeping on top of not just stale data, but knowing where a past customer might have gone from a user perspective and other companies out there which which are doing this really well again a nascent industry i'm really excited to see what what you guys get into there as well but literally seeing and being able to build on top of what you have from automation is going to be key yeah definitely so moving on to the data duplication problem right i think it's also a, a big plague across the crm systems in the world right so while there's a problem of data missing data from a capture standpoint the second problem is duplicate data right i mean which even makes things messier right so what is your recommendation on and best practice with respect to cleaning that up and how organizations like yours stay on top of it yeah i think i think in this again Abhijit, I'll, I'll go back to the the process and systems uh, piece that i always think about so from a systems perspective again it's it's being able to measure and evaluate what the right system is for you and making sure you set that up so you're not only you're not only adding data but you have an enrichment process set up so that your information is accurate everything from an account data perspective to contact data perspective i think buying nectar might help if i might add that plug there from a process perspective to me there's definitely a lot of lot of ownership that you can distribute even for the team so uh, what i mean there is let's say i'm an ae and i'm and, and again, I'm assigned to a, a book or a named account book. How do you ensure that the AE has a certain amount of responsibility to the quality of information associated to that account without making it a burden? Again, it, to be successful in their role, we have to ensure minimal workload in AE, but the more more they can manage and clean when they know someone has moved, 
that's going to be helpful. So just having some part of process there. And then if for, for big enterprise companies, they obviously have the, the benefit of having heads to throw at the problem. But for smaller companies, making a very clean system and process blueprint there. Definitely. That's a very actionable blueprint out there that you just laid off. A very interesting conversation today, Shantanu. Thanks for sharing all of these inputs with us. I want to move to the next section here, a little away from RevOps, more, more about you, getting to know you better. So let's talk about books. What's one book that you have recently read that you really enjoyed? So I think it should probably be here in, in my stack here. So it's uh, Legacy, which is actually modeled on the learnings from the rugby world to literally what we can take leadership. And I think there are 15 great lessons there. And two, which really resonated with me being in RevOps, number one was more the part around sweeping the sheds, which is nothing is small enough for you, for you not to do. So I think just literally being able to do this, sweat the small stuff to make the big things really succeed. And second to me, was really interesting was passing the ball. It's part of, in fact, what you're doing really well here, Abhijit, with, with the podcast and getting people to talk about it, which is how do you ensure that if you've got something leaders really create leaders so how do you ensure you're passing the ball around so those are two things that i really love but great book a lot of good lessons which we can take into life and leadership as well yeah definitely i just added them to my reading list uh, definitely gonna check them out let's talk about your favorite part of working in revenue operations what is that so to me i think and it goes back to the two pillars i talked about so the beauty of RevOps for me is you could be answering a question which is at the highest strategic level like you mentioned a 30,000 feet view of the world thinking about your your strategy for the company longer term but you could also be doing something the, the very same day which is a three feet deep very tactical what I call keep the lights on problem to be solved so just that ability to work on both I think keeps the job very interesting to me and the, the value that we add through that is very exciting so I love those two I would say the interplay between those two types of projects within RevOps. Yeah, yeah. And we are very passionate about this at Nectar because we largely feel that RevOps as a team, as a persona, as individuals, they need seat at the strategy table. And organizations who realize it sooner than later and give that seat at the strategy table grow much faster predictably compared to organizations who go through patchy periods, right? Because there's so much value that can be delivered through these business insights that you talked about tying data system process and people it, it's a very unique function with a very uh, specific vantage point that can add incredible value and make that inflection point count when companies hit product market fit totally agree with you yeah so uh, let's talk about lee's favorite part about working in ops <laughs> so it's funny because it's probably going to be connected i think the and i would say more from lee's favorite I, I really enjoy the role which is i've been here i think this is in this role for such a long time and I don't see myself leaving. I think the biggest challenge which probably we have is prioritization. Just given the number of things that are probably there on the list, on the to-do list, how do you prioritize? I think is the number one key key challenge. What's your formula of prioritization? How do you stay on top of your priority list? So I use a very simple, I'm a consultant by by training, so I use a very simple two by two, which is I would I would literally think about everything being, is the impact low, medium, high? And is the urgency low, medium, high? And then just being able, and, and then if you look at that, or the second bucket, I would also add within that uh, urgency piece is even ability to to execute. And then figuring that out, I, I literally try and think about what are the big rocks we need to shift? What are the quick wins we must do now and we can get a lot from? So that's something I used to prioritize. But even um, I would say very simple thing is very, very focused work planning is, is key there. Yeah, nice. 
yeah i know i think i have a grid of my own we'll talk about it some other time but yeah that's very useful grid that you just shared so who is your favorite revops leader that you look up to and why so i would say when i was starting out in revops dhruv nag he leads revenue operations at rubric he was he was my mentor at linkedin and he was he was in the us business i was in dublin here and i learned so much from him he can have a lot of conversations about account and contact data quality as well with you but he's like one of the one of the best at i think both uh, the pieces that i mentioned the 30000 feet view and the 3 feet so yeah i learned a lot from him and i'm very grateful to him yeah amazing we should get him on our podcast as well i'm going to reach out to him <laughs> so last question what's one piece of advice you like to leave for our audience So I would say the one advice that I found very interesting or I I feel was very very useful in early on in, in my career in revops as well is try and find the big rocks that you can move literally try and solve challenges to be successful in revops you have to run towards fire and not away from fire and the more fires you can put out the better you'll be and, and literally the try and find the biggest rocks you can solve for and make the challenge think think big and solve a problem that's that's the key that's it yeah think big and solve the problem great way to end the podcast shantanu thanks for your time today it was lovely chatting with you very practical actionable advice and good luck to you in your role and uh, i'm sure we we're going to speak again soon but until then uh, thank you thanks for your time have a good day it was my pleasure abhijit and wish you all the best for next i'm very excited to see where you go from here thank you thank you for having me